0: Welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist, and I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, and policy. Uh, thank you for supporting the podcast. Thank you for tuning in week in and week out. I appreciate your help. I appreciate you rating, subscribing, and so on. And don't forget, you can watch all of these podcasts on YouTube. Look, uh, I'm going to have a very, very short introduction. Ethan Weiss, who has been previously on this podcast, and Dave Feldman, who has been previously on this podcast, have been both invited to debate on this podcast, their views. And basically their views are related to the impact of cholesterol, specifically LDL cholesterol, the low density lipoprotein cholesterol, which usually the layman people say the bad cholesterol the impact of that on heart disease, on atherosclerotic heart disease in the setting of low carbohydrate diet. The entire whole thing started actually several months ago when I hosted an episode on keto diet. I had at the time, Kevin Bass, Ethan Weiss, Aaron Goodman, and we talked about keto diet and how the keto diet, low carb diet, high fat fat diet leads to increased LDL. And the question came, well, what do you do with this high LDL? And there was a lot of debate on social media. What do we do with the LDL? Do we actually give statin? Do we give treatment? Do we not? And then I got a hold of Dave Feldman, who has been um, uh, very, um, again, uh, active on social media. And Dave um, basically was asking the question that, well, we don't know what the impact of this LDL, and we probably should study it. And certainly, there are some folks who thought that studying this is not appropriate. Others said studying this is appropriate. And because of this, I wanted to invite Ethan Weiss and Dave Feldman on this podcast to talk about this particular topic, the cholesterol, the diet, the LDL, and what do we study and do we need to study? And if we study, what do we do? And so on. I got to tell you guys, uh, this is, I've been doing podcasts for the past three years, and I would say this is the podcast that I spoke at the least. Which usually hopefully means it's a successful podcast because nobody who is tuning on to this podcast, no one cares about what I have to say. I mean, really, for God's sake, why do you, have, why do you care about what I have to say? And since you don't care, the good news is that you're going to hear a lot from Ethan Weiss and Dave Feldman while I stay quiet, listening to their expertise as a debate, a very important and timely topic, also a very pragmatic and critical topic for the lay public and for the general population. Okay, don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate the show, write a review, refer colleagues to the show, and without further ado, Ethan Weiss and Dave Feldman on Healthcare Unfiltered. folks. Well, uh, welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. This should be fun. This uh, should be really a fun episode because I have two uh, guests that have previously appeared on the show, Dr. Ethan Weiss and uh, Dave Feldman, who um, have similar interests uh, pertaining to diet, cholesterol, lipids, all that stuff, but also have uh, a lot of disagreements, which I initially noted on social media. So because Twitter and social media is not the proper platform for debates, we thought we'll do a longer form of debate. It should be fun, should be entertaining, and uh, hopefully we will not um, yell at each other. Dave, who
1: are you? Uh, well, I'm um, Dave Feldman. First of all, thank you for having me on, Chatty. I, I really love your podcast. As I said before, in the prior podcast you had me on for, um, I am an engineer, particularly a software engineer, and became obsessed with lipids. Uh, which I kind of went over in your prior podcast. I would re- have everyone go ahead and reference that. Uh, and of course, we uh, I'm sure one of the things we'll be talking about is I'm especially interested in studying phenotypes that are related to uh, particularly healthy lipid metabolisms of those people with high LDL.
0: Great, I am going to ask you, why in the world would you listen to an engineer about lipids? But that's a different story. Ethan, who are you? That's a great question. Maybe ask my kids. <laughs>
2: I don't know. I'm struggling. Are you having finished. an identity crisis? I just finished Squid Games and it's like really in my head. Um, I'm a cardi- preventive cardiologist and a scientist and uh, do a lot of different things. How about that?
0: I like it. And I and I um, I, I do think you have a lot. Of, both of you have really great thoughts. I, I follow both of you and I, and I appreciate you coming on the show. So I want to level set. I really want to have what are the issues that you both disagree on? So one issue I know of, because I witnessed that debate back and forth, is what I would call primary prevention for patients who have high LDL, where I believe there was some heated exchange several um, months ago, probably, where, Dave, you said that you, you don't, you might not commit to taking a statin for some, if you had high LDL, um, and Ethan said, well, this is something that you should do or consider. And I think it went back and forth to no resolve. Is that, a re- is that something that you both disagree on?
1: No, I, first of all, I definitely, with respect, push back on that characterization. I'm, I'm not somebody who, I'm actually very careful and as best as I can try not to comment on the use of taking uh, medication. And I emphasize over and over again that I would like people to work with their doctor to research for themselves, to discuss it with their family. Um, And that's particularly when it comes to medication. I I wouldn't want anything that I was saying to be taken as though I'm making a personal recommendation for either going on or off. And actually, interestingly, the kind of back and forth that we had going back to that period of time, um, I took that opportunity to write a five-part tweet where I further wanted to reemphasize that. Uh, because to whatever degree anybody might have that thought, like they would know what I would want them to do with regard to a going on or off medication, any medication for that matter, um, I would push back because I, I feel that that's something that's between them, their doctors, their families, and so forth.
0: Ethan, is that, is that your recollection of the exchange back and forth? I'm,
2: actually, it was really about secondary prevention, but I, we don't need to kind of rehash the whole argument. I guess uh, I'm not sure that's totally productive. Uh, I think what I asked Dave to do was to to comment about whether he would take a statin in certain clinical circumstances, and Dave uh, didn't want to do that publicly. So that, that was how it all went down. Uh, and you know, the motivation for me was that, and I'll say it now, and I'm not saying this to accuse Dave of doing anything, certainly not maliciously, although potentially unintentionally, there, there's a lot of misinformation out there that uh, trickles down to people and whether the message is intended to end up where it ends up or whether it ends up there quite by accident. I see patients in the office every day who are very hesitant to want to take statins or other similar medications in situations where it's clearly indicated and we're not prescribing it would be malpractice. And I think uh, there's a tremendous disservice being done by people peddling these questions and asking these questions about the role of LDL cholesterol and coronary disease, and particularly the role of these medications in preventing second heart attacks. But that was the, where my motivation came from.
0: It is. A, I, I apologize. You're right. It was a secondary prevention. That discussion was so. Um... Dave, I mean, I think you know you have obviously a large uh, social media platform, and, and I think that's that's where some of this um, comes through because there are many folks probably that look upon you to uh, for what you would do. And while I do agree, for example, that uh, you know, always patient and physicians need to make a decision. But um, one of the question was, you know, what would you do if it were you, like in, in your situation? Would you take a statin? Would you not? in a secondary prevention. That was, uh, I mean, are you able to make that call whether you would do that or not?
1: Part of the the challenge right now is with anything that I'm doing or not doing, because of the platform growing, there's a greater degree of criticism that de facto, I am effectively making a recommendation by saying what it is that I'm doing. And so I, I actually proactively try to emphasize that my decisions are my own and further emphasize my uncertainty with these decisions. This includes, by the way, living currently with higher levels of LDL. So whereas we've got Twitter chock full of people who are going, oh no, no, I've done my research. I know the answer. This is the answer. This is how I feel, right? I I think I'm actually part of a very tiny, tiny minority, really a truly tiny fraction of people who would say, look, here's the case as I understand it up to this point. But if you put me on, say, like a 10 scale, right, where zero is completely unknown, completely uncertain, 10 is completely certain, like as certain as the earth is round, right, that I'm nowhere close to the 10. I have like a leaning given the existing things that I know. And as much as I re-emphasize that, as my profile grows, there's more and more of an attraction towards getting me to uh, commit to one thing or another that I think everybody should be doing. And I and frankly, I feel like that would be, I, I, I appreciate that I've become more cognizant of it. And I actually appreciate when occasionally people bring this to my attention, including Ethan, for which I'll take more effort to try to further emphasize where it is that there's that greater uncertainty. Now that said, I have to also be critical back to the other side of the fence, because a lot of times there are folks And I believe they're well-meaning who want me to emphasize what it is that I would do in order to effectively give a full-throated endorsement of something in particular, like a particular medical therapy or a particular medical outcome. And I believe it's the more responsible thing for me to instead say, look, here's, here's what it is that I've determined to do based on what I've understood up until this point. But not only am I uncertain, but I want to pursue
2: further information
1: to get a better understanding of what to do next.
0: I
2: and mean, again, I feel like we're going to go down this rat hole of re-litigating this argument, which was never solved a lot. I mean, Dave and I had a very long private conversation after this and didn't really get anywhere. And I felt like it was unresolved and potentially unresolvable. So I'm not sure it's like productive. Well, let's we'll try let's, to do let's
0: go into something probably a little bit more productive. Let me ask. I want to ask Dave a question I've been
2: meaning to ask for a long time, if it's okay. Sure. What is your mission?
1: What is my mission? I Yeah. Yes, I absolutely want to understand what role higher LDL, as observed by people who are fat adapted plays, both in whether it, whether it applies to the lipid energy model that we're working on and how much it applies to risk. Those are the two questions I most want to answer.
2: What, what are you trying to solve? Like, what's the, no, nah, that's not what I'm looking at. I'm, what's your, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like, what are you trying to getting, getting to that answer?
1: So if, if you want to, if you want to understand where my heart, my passion of this is, is you and I have discussed this kind of peripherally on Twitter and I'll, and I'll say it here again, there definitely are a lot of people for which, and this is where I'm probably going to upset a lot of the low carb crap. I think that there are many routes to health for most people who are excited about the diet that they're into right now, where they're like, oh no, this is the diet that is like the diet everybody should be on. And I try to be very diet agnostic because frankly, that's really what I believe. I believe most people have more choices for what they can do for diet than others. But but I also know that Ethan, there are some people, and I'll bet some of them are your patients, for which keto is uniquely foundationally valuable. And those patients, the ones who specifically are not comfortable with their high LDL when they're going keto and they see their LDL shooting through the roof, the ones who are not the ones who are already, you know, believing statins are going to kill the whole world, whatever. But specifically those who say, for example, are epileptics, and yet they have problems with other forms of diet that attempt to bring down the LDL, but they can't fully do it without uh, taking on medication. So they're struggling with how much they want to to work with these trade-offs. Those folks really don't know the level of risk that they're looking at. And I think we deserve or they deserve for us to pursue the answer to that. For for several years now, you know that I brought up over and over again, that I'm surprised at the lack of curiosity and wanting to look at those people who are genetically normal and who are metabolically healthy, but who have high LDL. And and you and I have discussed this on my channel before. Uh, I discussed this with Chatty. We have plenty of data on those folks that that are already ill, particularly when they're grouped in with everybody else who's metabolically healthy and genetically normal. But I don't think we should. I don't think we should extrapolate that data over to the metabolically healthy, genetically normal population. We should look to that population to truly uh, know what the
2: risk level is. Uh, first of all, I... I... I agree with you, except I don't believe there's any such thing as genetically normal. We have no idea what's genetically normal. We have genetically median or mean, but we don't know what's genetically normal. So I think what you're trying to say is somebody without a mutation in the LDL receptor PCSK9. Not, not just
1: not just the LDL receptor lipid metabolism, particularly at a cellular level.
2: We've been through this before, Dave. I, I don't even know how you begin to like I, unpack that. Anyway, let's not let's not. L- I don't want to go down this path. I'm just sort of curious. I think it's really interesting. I think a lot about sort of how you got to where you got. So I'm assuming that you got interested in this for a personal reason, right? I sort of know the answer, but tell. what was the reason?
1: No, a personal reason, because as I told Chatty, it was fear. I was worried for myself as to how much this may or may not impact. And that fear is still present as to whether or not this is in fact the wrong route to have higher LDL, even if it's resulting from fat adaptation. But it has expanded a lot more because I've become more aware of a lot more populations who again are struggling with, have the same struggle. They don't know how much this risk impacts them. So, again,
0: but, but Dave and Ethan, just a quick question: What, um, from a statin perspective, um, what what are the real risks? I mean, because for me, I, I don't, For a general listener, I always want to put things in perspective. It's kind of sometimes goes to the discussion between you know, I don't. I, I don't want to talk COVID, but like when somebody talk about COVID vaccine and risk and so forth, there's risks for everything, right? I mean, there's everything we do in life that carries risk. But when we talk about statin, what is the actual risk of taking a statin in general that we're trying to mitigate and avoid? Because ultimately, I mean, the, if something is not risky, then it's, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are risks. I mean, I, I know, Ethan, I mean, is it, are the risks of statin blown out of proportion? Or are they, I mean, do you worry about them?
2: <laughs> are they blown out of proportion? Yeah. Is I the asking? earth round? Yes, they're completely and massively blown out of proportion. So, yes.
0: why, why do you think that is, though? Like, how did we get here?
2: Like, why did I don't they... know? Why are vaccines? Why do you, did Andrew Wakefield decide to go after vaccines in 1998 and make up data? And why is that now still right. challenging us to this day, 24 years later?
0: Dave, do you think, do you agree that the statins risk are blown out of proportion, or do you feel it's what do you think? He's not going to comment. He doesn't comment about statins. Right.
1: Why? Why not? Uh, well, first of all, there's, there's virtually, first of all, Chatty, at the end of the day, it's already kind of problematic because what we're talking about is a medical therapy that does more than one thing. It doesn't just lower LDL, right? So, so if, the, if the question is whether or not high LDL is the problem, then I want to address that problem, not different therapies. If there was a therapy that it's only interventional effect is that lowered LDL and did nothing else then that would be interesting because that would help get to the specific data that we're, we're interested in. But that but-
2: I guess this is some kind of funny, right? So we know that in other contexts, forget the diet context, but we know in other contexts that reducing LDL through any of three different approved medications reduces risk of heart attack and death in most populations. We know that. So again, I, it's, it seems to me that the default would be that it's gonna lower risk of death in this population. And, and I agree with you, it's a question and it's an interesting question and it ought to be answered, but it's always been to me that what's the default. And so I guess what Chadi's asking you is why, what's the harm in, in taking a harmless medication to lower LDL if you're, if, if, if you're worried about it and you're nervous that it's gonna be harmful you have an option or you have three options.
1: I'm just not going to be commenting on medical therapy. This is the bottom you line. Is have um,
2: to, The point you're making is that you're uneasy. You came to this whole thing. You decided to try a low carb diet. It worked great for you. It made you feel better. lost weight, improved all of your metabolic parameters, but yet you had this one problem, which is your LDL skyrocketed. And so you kind of woke up and thought, gosh, I need to figure out if that's dangerous. And I, again, I, I, Agree with you. I think it's a fantastically interesting question. If, in the context of low-carb diets, the increase in LDL cholesterol that we see in some people—not all—in some people, if that's harmful, as it is in every other context in which we've ever seen it, and so I guess the question—you know—when I deal with this in the office with my patients, they'll come to me with this very question, and I tell them that the way I approach this, based on my understanding of the medicine and the science, and also understanding of risk is that we have options for you to lower your LDL cholesterol that in my opinion and backed by 30 years of science is a very safe and reasonable way to do it. And that mitigates this potential risk while you and other people are trying to answer the question more formally. And that's, that's sort of been my approach. And
1: again, your patients, you as the doctor, that's, that's a relationship I would advocate for as far as what they determine between you their family, et cetera. Look, let's take a step back for a sec and look at this in the two phases that it really does need to be looked at. Because what is it that I'm, I'm pursuing that I mentioned earlier and that, that I've mentioned in the prior podcast and that I've had so many conversations with you about, Ethan, which is this whole group of people that are coming to you now that are metabolically healthy with high LDL that do not have a dysfunction in their lipid metabolism, either through genetic disease or right. acquired yeah. disease.
2: I you know they don't have a dysfunction in their, in their lipid metabolism. How do you know that? Well, okay, likely likely but why, don't. Wait, hold on, stop for a second. This is really important. Okay. I've been low-carb for almost four years. Very low-carb. It's worked great for me. 70% of my calories from fat. My ApoB is 70. I don't take any statin. I take nothing. So What's different about me than you? You, you have a predominantly plant-based diet. No, I don't actually. That's not true. I eat a decent amount of. How much fiber do you consume? I eat a ton of fish, I I, and I eat a decent amount of meat. Okay, and do you have low saturated fat? You have high PUFA, right? I try to eat as little saturated fat as possible, but I will eat meat. I definitely will eat it. And, And I have a lot of unsaturated fats in the form of nuts and avocados and olive oil and salmon and other fatty fish. Leafy greens. So, of course, yeah. Lots
1: of leafy greens, right? Yeah. So a lot of fiber. Oh. Okay, I, I, we can get into it now, but that's actually part of but why I'm doing the fiber-based
2: part. That do you think that that's the difference? That it's just my diet, or do you think there might be something about my metabolism that's different than yours? No,
1: I think that there's definitely a genetic component. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I, but I would be curious, Ethan, if you gave me control of your diet, like let's say you gave me two weeks where I could just give you a food plan of exactly what you eat, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then also determine what it is your exercise is, right? Mm-hmm. I'll bet you, I'll bet you, we would find that your LDL would get closer to what we would see with a lean mass hyper-responder. I would want it to be more like a ward's like study, but basically we would we like take if fiber I just out.
2: Gurgling butter all day? Could no, I make no my LDL no no,
1: just being predominantly powered buy fatty acids that are going to have more of a proportion common to like, you know, say red meat or something. It doesn't have to be like 80% saturated fat.
2: I had lamb chops last night. And actually I had leftover lamb chops today for lunch.
1: Right. But, but again, fiber is one of the things that's now much more on my radar than it was before, particularly insoluble fiber. Can
2: we we do it? Can we do it? Can we try an exercise? Do you mind if I take over for a sec? Go ahead. No, of course not. All right. Let's play a game for a sec, because I think this is actually gets to one of the questions that I wish you were asking, because I think your, stu- your, it's not really a s- trial, but your study is is going to be interesting, but it, it's not where I would have started, because I do think that the, the most important question is what's going on at the but very detailed metabolic level. Before we so,
1: get too far into it, can we at least do just a quick, for, for listeners who may not know what we're about to talk about, you're talking about the lean mass hyper responder study, right? The one that I'm about to do. Yeah, or actually the one that
2: we now have underway. Yes. Okay. But I yeah. don't want to talk about that right now. I want to talk about something else.
0: Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and ask, all right. do the let's, test you had to ask. And then we're going to, later on, we're going to talk about the study that uh, Dave has. Go ahead, Eva. Let's just take statins out of the picture for a
2: second. Cause I think they are complicated and misunderstood and generate a lot of negativity. So let's talk about, let's talk about this molecule PCSK9, which you're aware of, correct? Yes. Are you aware of it? Yep. Right. And Dave, what's the function of PCSK9? So PCSK9 is a
1: protein that, to put in layperson's terms, it it effectively is going to bind and tag, if you will, an LDL receptor uh, to be uh, degraded in lysosomes. So in effect, its net result is that there's going to be less overall LDL receptors in play. And therefore, the more that there are PCSK9s, typically, the higher there is going to be um, APOB-containing lipoproteins in the bloodstream. Would
2: that, that be a fair way of putting it? Yeah, that, that's right. So basically, degrade. You know, it's responsible for degrading the LDL receptor. LDL receptor clears LDL from the circulation, brings it back into the hepatocyte, into the liver cell. And so, and we, I know but you hate another that. Also in the periphery. But, yes. Right. But- predominantly in the liver cell. And th- th- this is one thing I think that people forget is that like most cholesterol synthesized predominantly in the hepatocyte. And so I think one thing that people don't understand not to get distracted back to statins again, but the predominant mechanism of LDL reduction st- with statins has nothing to do with cholesterol synthesis. It actually has to do with the LDL receptor itself. So I think it's something that people forget uh, that it's, you know, people think, oh, it's HMG-CoA reductase. It's a critical step in the synthesis, but it turns out that that's, that, synthetic path when you start when you lower concentrations of ldl in the hepatocyte you tell the hepatocyte i need more cholesterol so it turns on production of the ldl receptor so PCSK9, we know that PCS, we and we know so we know that loss of function people born with mutations in pcsk9 that doesn't function those people have what happens to their cholesterol their cholesterol gets extraordinarily low like 10 milligrams per deciliter, right? Their LDL?
1: Well, I, I'm not sure if it's that low. I think usually that takes combined therapy to get to those levels,
2: but they do tend to have very low levels. I think, I think- homozygous, I think people with homozygous loss of functional alleles in PCSK9 have like 10 milligrams per deciliter and, and mutations, either common or rare mutations in PCSK9. And those are rare, extremely rare. I think predominantly in African-American people seen, but common or rare mutations in PCSK9, lower LDL cholesterol and do what to To risk
1: if you if you mean cardiovascular disease risk it brings down the likelihood of development of of, uh, atherosclerosis and heart attacks yes
2: however what does it do to all cause mortality uh i don't know if the studies well i can tell you that the combined studies of common genetics and that control ldl levels absolutely increased lifespan there that it's one of the most it's one of the most powerful signals there is when when you look at lifespan but but i'm i I want to stay with this i want to stay with this for a sec
1: i would love to Mm -hmm. partner with you ethan to do a study on pcsk9 loss of function on pcsk9 loss of function but i want to do it transparently right i suspect as we've as we've seen in the initial studies before there was a lot more statistical abstractions being applied that we're actually going to find that there's not a benefit in all cause mortality. But I, I'd like to see it done. What are they
2: dying of? If they're not dying of the most, are they dying of cancer then? Because the two things that kill people are, we all agree, cardiovascular disease and cancer, right? Two, by far the two right. leading causes. The, the, if you did two biggest, right. So if you're reducing the risk of cardiovascular that's still the lead, even with COVID, the leading cause of death in the world. If you're reducing that significantly, the, down to basically zero in these people with rare disease, with rare right. mutations, they should have longevity. What are they dying of? I
1: non-cardiovascular disease-related mortality has to explain why there is a not an increase uh in greater longevity. I don't
2: agree, I don't agree with you on that. And we can debate this later, but I do not agree with you that the I believe that the, it's relatively at this point incontrovertible that genetic control of LDL cholesterol is directly and proportionally related to lifespan.
1: I would I, this is a genuine offer. Mm-hmm. I would like to partner with you on a large like UK Biobank. Copenhagen. Uh, I'm not sure if we've got this with Framingham. I'm not sure if they have uh, PCSK9 loss of function data yet. But UK Biobank would be a good example.
2: I think it's been done. I think Michael Michael Holmes has done it with it's, with George yes. David Smith. Well, right. We'll, we'll come I, back. Let's. I don't want to get distracted. So let's just continue down this line. This line. But if you don't mind, let's just continue. Let's just forget the lifespan life thing. Let's just agree that we're gonna that there's a reduction in heart attack risk. Correct. Yeah, I I have already agreed to that. Okay, and we also have the paired uh, mirror image of that, which is that people who are born mutations that activate or turn on PCSK9 have increased LDL cholesterol and also have an increased risk of heart attack. Correct? Uh, in gain of function, yes. yes, yeah, right. And we have now a drug, a or a pair of drugs that act to as monoclonal antibodies to decrease circulating PCSK9, and those dramatically reduce LDL cholesterol and also at least with in combination with statins also reduce heart attack risk. And in one case, all cause mortality. Correct. I, I can't speak as much to the, the trial in patients with second in secondary, but I guess my question is that pathway is pretty cool, right? Because it's involving this receptor. That's there to basically traffic cholesterol in and out of the hepatocyte and I guess what I would say is the way I interpret those genetic studies and the way I interpret the PCSK9 inhibitor clinical data is that something that degrades the LDL receptor, that that decreases expression of the LDL receptor on the surface of the hepatocyte and therefore impairs the hepatocyte's ability to clear cholesterol from the circulation, that that's a bad thing. Is that correct? Or do you agree with that? No, th-
1: and this is, this is where we're going to have our disagreement. So the, dis- mm-hmm. the disagreement is whether or not, get, let's get to the very top level. Are ApoB-containing lipoproteins pathogenic, not just atherogenic, but pathogenic? In other words, they're disease-causing on net. This is probably the core of our disagreement, right? You would say, yes, that higher ApoB, worse off, not just with the development of atherosclerosis, but that there's no net benefit relative to the uh, development of atherosclerosis, in non-atherosclerotic risks. Would that be a fair statement? ApoB is bad, period. There's, if you have high ApoB, you're going to have
2: more mortality full stop. You would agree with that statement, right? I mean, I think it really depends on what you, what, how you define high, but uh, yes, I think the other side of the equation is actually much easier if you ask me. So I'll ask you this question. If you have very low ApoB, say, you know, less than 40 or 30 milligrams per deciliter, can you get coronary disease? I, well, can again, you, I'm, I've already agreed
1: that you will reduce the likelihood of development can of atherosclerosis. You get but coronary, let me, I, can yeah. I finish? Let me finish. Sure. I'll agree that you will reduce the likelihood of, of benefit or reduce the likelihood of development of atherosclerosis. However, as you know, with people who have A beta lipoproteinemia and hypo beta lipoproteinemia, they have worse all cause mortality. It's very bad for them and granted that's a different context than PCSK9 loss of function but it's very relevant to this discussion that we're having because how you're metabolizing these lipids and lipoproteins seems to be
2: relevant to this larger equation would you I'm just asking about one very narrow path of metabolism just a clear, just the clear right. just the LDL receptor and its ability to clear LDL right. from circulation right.
1: and this is and this is why I'm, I'm actually glad you brought this up because PCSK9 Basically, the lipoproteins are getting into circulation. You would agree with that? Sure. Okay. And cells that would otherwise want to have those lipoproteins can acquire them. There's no, there's no for example, receptor binding problems. There's no ligand binding problems. They right. can actually endocytose as necessary. So that's one, that's one end of the equation, right? Where it gets into circulation, but it can be removed as needed. So there's not really a disruption in the lipid metabolism there. Conversely, with A-beta-lipoproteinemia, you actually don't develop those proteins in the first place. So they're not even getting into circulation. So people with A-beta-lipoproteinemia and hypo-beta-lipoproteinemia, they have problems in that they can't even get their fat-soluble vitamins moving around in circulation, which can help explain why it is that their all-cause mortality would be worse, right? I I think you would agree with everything I just said. Would would you agree with that? I'm not sure where we're going. I'm asking- Where where we're going is, is there a- is there a dysfunction? And the reason I keep drawing that line is if ApoB is pathogenic, which is to say disease causing, let's just look across the, let's stop lumping together any kind of population that has a dysfunction in lipid metabolism, especially at a cellular level, and look at those that seem to be functioning properly
2: in their lipid metabolism. But even Dave, if this is the point I'm trying to get to, and you're not letting me get there. I'm asking you, if you agree with me, if PCSK9 and its regulation of the LDL receptor is important and that if you had less LDL receptor just because you were born with a mutation of PCSK9 that activated it, would that be a bad thing? I think it's bad if your cells want them. Does your, do your cells want the ApoB?
1: because if there's any disruption in the path, that can be a problem, especially if they're immune cells, especially if they're macrophages. So That's you're not what worried
2: about increasing residence time. You're not worried about how long LDL part- I'm not talking take. about residence time. You, you, if you they, have less clearance and you're gonna have less residence time, do you believe we can measure it?
1: Oh, I, I do. Do yeah. Okay, here's, here's my question. Macrophages, do macrophages have LDL receptors? Yeah. They do, yeah, all yeah. nucleated cells have them, especially immune cells. Do macrophages use? Their LDL receptors, not for modified LDL particles, but for unmodified LDL particles. Sure. Okay. Is that relevant to the development of atherosclerosis, in your opinion? Probably yes. Okay. Okay. So, why not look to people who have functioning macrophages? Therefore, they do not have a disruption in the lipid metabolism of those immune cells, for example.
2: I'm, I'm just trying to ask you a question about, I'm trying to get at the physiology here. Of right. What happened? Basically, what I'm, what you said earlier was that people, these people, these lean mass hyperresponders have normal lipid metabolism.
1: I, I'm gonna say it's, it's never been speculative. measured. Absolutely, Nobody,
2: speculative, right. It's so never I, I don't been know assessed. Sure. What's you that? No, I guess let me let me throw the question back at you in a t- totally different way. Is there any thing that we can do in measuring the physiology of lipid metabolism that would tell you? this looks worrisome to me, like, I wouldn't want this. Is there anything that we can measure given all the tools we have in the toolbox, stable isotopes, whatever it is, is there something that you could say, well, this is this is concerning, I wouldn't want this?
1: Yeah, the physical measurements of plaque, that's, yeah, that's why because the CT- I'm not
2: asking about the physical fantastic. measurement of plaque. I'm asking about, is there something short of that? Is there some other surrogate that we could look at, not just steady state levels of these lipoproteins, which we, th- I, th- I think all agree, or not perfect, but is there something else we could do in a dynamic way? Could we measure something physiologically? That's why I'm kind of harping on this PCSK9 story because I, you know, if you look at the physiology of what happens with PCSK9 doesn't exist, it's different, right? LDL gets cleared. So there's not as, not only is there not as much around, it's not there as long. Yeah, yes, look again. I realize
1: we're just we're talking on two different sides here, right? On one end, you're saying this plays into what looks to be the response to retention. There's a higher concentration remaining in the bloodstream, right? Which I agree with. That's uh, that's true. Okay. You, I'm not sure why you couldn't likewise agree with me that that's not the only thing going on. That there's this other thing going on that's very interesting and relevant to me, which is that there is an impairment. If there, if there is an impairment in the processing of lipids or lipoproteins, that that could be relevant to this story, just that category yes, alone. Yes,
2: I agree with you. I just think that it would be good. I guess what I'm getting at is a very long-winded way of saying that it would be really great to understand the physiology. It would be great to study people in detail and to understand what is what is going on. Totally agree. Yes. Okay, totally. good. And you're interested in studying the another surrogate for cardiovascular disease risk that I would argue, is also a surrogate for all-cause mortality risk, which is plaque in a coronary artery. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely interested in that. Okay. So now my
1: now, if I may take a turn, or in your opinion- As many turns as you want. Are lean mass hyperresponders at a high risk of developing rapid atherosclerosis?
2: And part of the problem, Dave, and I mean this with respect, is I don't know what a lean mass hyper responder is as far as i'm concerned let me define it let me define made it. it up you you've made it up is there any published data on it i folks like folks that
1: from the best of our ability to discern who seem to be metabolically healthy but again makes, show
2: it, me the data i'm i'm just asking your opinion um, I, I can't answer the question because I don't know what we're talking. This is what I'm trying to say. But I don't even know what we're talking about. We have no idea what this group of people is. We don't know what's going on with them. And by all means, you can agree with me that there's going to be tremendous heterogeneity between person A and person Z in that group of so-called lean mass hyper-responders. Can we Can we agree that
1: HDL and triglycerides are relevant to the equation of likelihood for development of atherosclerosis? They are markers for risk. So, so they're relevant with within this
2: context, right? Well, actually, it's not totally clear. If you're asking me, does high triglycerides or low HDL predict risk, my answer is incontrovertibly yes. If you're asking me, do we have evidence that shows that lowering triglycerides by any mechanism or raising HDL by any mechanism changes risk or reduces risk? I, I, can't, I Unfortunately, there, is, there are no data.
1: Okay, but this this is good because we're now getting to a place that I feel like we can make some progress. Okay, great. In general, in general, atherogenic dyslipidemia, the low HDL, high triglycerides, which of course are part of the metabolic syndrome, you know, criteria. It tends to associate with a higher relative amount of LDL, right? There, in fact, there's actually a review that you you posted that I really love. Part of the reason I remembered it was because it was close to my birthday. (laughs) You you posted on June eighth, I think, and it's um. It's fat cell size, uh, and it was getting into uh, adipocyte hypertrophy, right? And they had they had amazing graphs that emphasized why it is that you see these three together. You see, as HDL goes down and triglycerides go up, LDL tends to go up as well. All three of those together, we very rarely get those separated from each other, right? Very rarely, except in different genetic conditions and so forth, particularly as you head into metabolic syndrome. So now that we actually have separation that's going on with those folks that are showing the triad, as you know, I define the triad as high HDL and low triglycerides coupled with high LDL. This brought around a lot of attention to where, of course, I was pursuing any kind of data or studies. As you know, there's, it's very limited, right? But we can look to existing data that's out there And I think that we should, that's a big part of the question that I like to ask, but that I get a lot of pushback on,
2: right? But again, I'm not gonna tell you how to be a scientist, Dave, I'm not here to do that. But I'm gonna tell you what I would do if I had this same passion. If I woke up one day and thought, this is what I wanna devote my life to, I would start by trying to understand the physiology. And I think it's great that you're gonna do this like observational thing and see what happens to plaque. I still don't totally understand how, and changes in plaque volume in this context are important to you, whereas their heart attacks are not important or reductions in heart attack risk, which are also accompanied by decreases in plaque. Like if you looked at people who got PCSK9 inhibitors and you measured plaque quantitatively using CT angiography as you're gonna do in your study, you'd see a reduction in plaque volume. So I'm not sure how I can connect all these dots where in one context, plaque matters and in another context, it's all about all-cause mortality. Well, the existing response to retention
1: I mean, the lipid hypothesis as it stands is the expectation is that it's a dose dependent response that as high as ApoB gets higher and higher, you're going to see a higher development of plaque overall. I mean, Brown and Goldstein started. And in fact, I think I, I read this, um, the quote from the early seventies uh, in my last podcast with Chatty, which is that uh, Dr. Goldstein himself was pointing out that they were looking at children with homozygous FH and they were getting Xanthomas and and my cardiac infarctions at an extremely young age. I'm sure you would agree with me that if you put homozygous FH children into a CT angiogram uh, into a into a CT machine and then did a CT angiogram one year apart, you're you're absolutely going to see a rapid development of atherosclerosis. Of course, I'm not
2: I'm not I'm not arguing with that. I'm not arguing with that at all. I'm just not sure I can understand how you why you care, because you basically told me you don't care about cardiovascular disease risk. And so all I, CT angiography I, is, is, a, is a surrogate for it. I I've definitely, I definitely so care. You told me all you risk. care about is all-cause mortality. I mean, when we were talking no, about genetics. I've never. When have I ever said that I only care about all-cause
1: mortality? I care more about all-cause mortality than I do about cardiovascular disease risk. But
2: That's, you don't want to talk about, you don't, I mean, you don't, you don't like talking about it in the context of, of either genetics or drugs that alter ApoB levels.
1: No, I Ethan, let me be very clear. Yeah. I think that it's a huge missed opportunity scientifically for us to look only to populations. As I was mentioning with the adipocyte hypertrophy for which we have all of these lipid values changing. And we don't know which of these, because they're running collinearly. We don't know which of these are the major contributors to the atherosclerotic plaque. Right? So in other words, how much does the lipid metabolism impact your lipid profile along with changing your outcome with atherosclerosis? How much does one thing cause both as opposed to the one causing the other? This is why scientifically, of course, it makes sense to want to pursue any population for which the marker of interest is the only one that's different. I, I, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm still surprised that there's so much disinterest in looking at this population. It's in, not
2: disinterest, I, I, there's no disinterest at all. I share your interest. I, I have a difference of opinion of how I would approach it, but I, but I share I, your interest. Can I ask you something very plainly? Sure. You're, you're, you're well entrenched
1: in the, in the cardiovascular research world, particularly really. with lipidology and so forth. How many of your colleagues that you know of are putting together a kind of study that's looking at the triad right now?
2: The, the triad?
1: Yeah, high, high LDL coupled with high HDL and low triglycerides. In what context? In, in that context, in, in being able to look at LDL and ApoB separate from otherwise atherogenic dyslipidemia.
2: Uh, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I guess I'm not really sure. Yeah.
1: But, but wouldn't you agree with me that that would be important to do if we're going to start with the assumption that ApoB is pathogenic?
2: Independently. Dave, you're asking me basically, yeah. I I don't it's settled science. It's a fact. It, I mean you can we can argue about sort of different contexts in which it may be more or less harmful, but it's not, you're never gonna get me or any other reasonable cardiologist in the world to say that APOB levels are not directly and proportionally related to risk of cardiovascular disease. It's just not not gonna happen. I mean, the, it's settled science. And yes, are there contexts in which it could be more or less of a risk? Absolutely. And we should study those. And I think one of the interesting ones is what happens to people who go on low-carbohydrate diets and have their LDL skyrocket. I think that's an interesting question. I just, I'd approach it differently. Let me come at, okay, let me come at it from a
1: different direction. Let, let's say that we were to grant that whatever the context, higher ApoB will have a likewise increase of cardiovascular disease risk, Right. Let's just let's grant that for the sake of argument, that no matter what the context, even if somebody is totally metabolically healthy, it's no different than how we would normally think of, say, smoking, in that even if you have one cigarette a day, uh, even if it's super, super low risk, it's still higher relative risk than if you just had no cigarettes.
2: Like I think, just- I think this is we 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 all know that just as with cigarettes, not every we, you know, you go come out to the VA hospital with me and we can go find a bunch of vets out there smoking through a Through a tracheostomy, who are still alive at 95 and have not had a heart attack, and so same thing is going to be true with any other risk marker, right? I mean, it's not that you—it's not a death sentence if you have high apoB. There are lots of factors.
1: Okay, but this is what I'm talking about: is there's some threshold with which, even if you feel confident that apoB is pathogenic, that there's some risk threshold for which you're going to care about how much it changes. So in other words, if somebody's a lean mass hypersponder, and let's say you had the data right now, let's say that we had a hundred RCTs, and in a hundred RCTs, we find that the uh, there is a risk increase from their higher LDL. And it's like, let's say a half a percent over 10 years for a major vascular event. Would, would if you knew that, and you were talking to an LMHR, and they said, oh, but I have all these other benefits that came from the other side of the ledger. My my blood pressure is better. My waist to hip ratio is better, et cetera. Would that change your level of opinion right now as to whether you'd recommend that they take actions to lower their
2: LDL? Okay, so number one, I don't know what an LMHR is. Again, due respect, I just don't know what it is. It's as far as I know, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful, Dave, it's something that you made up. And I don't know what it is. I think we should start by defining what it is. So it'd be okay. great if in your studies you could define what it is. Number two, I personally believe that the risk of taking a statin is negligible in 95 plus percent of people. And so therefore, given what I know about the evidence that exists from cells to animals, to people, to randomized trials and with drugs, that no, I'm not gonna change my opinion. That if you were walking around with an LDL of 600, as many of your friends are, I'm not going to say that's okay. Like that's just not not going to, it's not going to happen. And it, for me to, ch- to change my opinion about that, which of course I could, I could be wrong, but for me to do that, I'm going to need extraordinarily solid evidence. And I don't know what that looks like, but I certainly don't think it's going to be an easy thing to do because so- the, the term, the term you mentioned just earlier, randomized, as far as I'm, able to know it doesn't sound like your study is is randomized so
1: it's not i'm I'm trying i'm trying to just find what threshold of evidence you would feel would be compelling
2: period Uh, if you if, if you could if we could start by defining what the population is like really defining it well just as brown and goldstein defined what was going on in these children with extraordinarily high levels of cholesterol and early cardiovascular disease if we could define what it is and we have lots of tools in the toolbox we can measure all kinds of things you know really define what the physiology is. Cause I think it's really interesting. I mean, these numbers are extremely high. So it'd be great to know what's going on. I would like to define what it is. I would then love to know what happens over a reasonable period of time in people in a well-controlled and randomized study, it, which would be hard. I agree, it would be a hard thing to do. Okay, if you want me to define
1: it, I can just say what the study design is. Study design is LDL of 190 or higher. HDL of 60 or higher triglycerides of 80 or lower. It's a relaxed form, but generally people who have that triad of high LDL alongside high HDL low triglycerides. We have other criteria that, as you know, because it's not part of what's being advertised, I can't talk about it openly, but that the Lundquist Institute goes through, but I can tell you it it effectively determines there are other uh, low risk factors as associated to cardiovascular disease. So this is otherwise, as far as we can tell, a healthy population that does not have a high risk of cardiovascular disease at baseline, but does have a high LDL at baseline, save everything
2: else. Well, let me ask you a question. What happens if you do that first set of scans on people? You've got somebody who comes in with, walks in the door with an LDL, I'm gonna make it up 400 milligrams per deciliter. and But they meet your criteria. They have low triglycerides and high HDL. And what, what, per, what are you gonna do if that, if somebody walks in and their baseline scan shows they've got extensive three vessel disease.
1: I it actually, this is one of those places where I, I want to answer, but I don't know if I'm allowed to. you You know clinical trials more than I do. I've been given the talk that certain things that are in the protocol, I'm not sure if I can speak to until they're published. I know that we're publishing the protocol, but I'm not actually sure. but but bottom line is we do have means by which people will be disqualified if it's clear that they have baseline. Uh, high risk for atherosclerosis. So, so I, think in that, some I think
2: ways, that in some that. ways, I guess in some ways, then you're kind of potentially gonna have some bias there, right? Cause you're gonna be selecting people who don't have a lot of baseline disease. Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're reporting all
1: of it though. Mm-hmm. It's It's been my intent. You know how vocal I am on transparency, right? Where there's, I, I even wanted to have a greater level of transparency on uh, inclusion exclusion than what is typically, you know, happening. Again, this much I'm not sure how much I can say, but I can say basically everything I've been wanting to get to be transparent is turning out to be so. At the point at which we're publishing, so okay. it's not we're not going to we're not going to let me put it this way. There's not going to be a whole lot of hidden cases of baseline atherosclerosis that wouldn't somehow get counted into the final analysis.
2: So you'll publish all the baseline, even the people who don't end up getting go, who don't end up getting enrolled in the full longitudinal one year study. You'll you'll publish the results of their baseline scans.
1: I, my, my answer. And again, I want to be cautious because I don't know what I'm allowed to say because you're allowed me. to
2: say whatever you want. I mean, okay. I've never heard of anything like this. I've never heard okay. of being muzzled by a, I mean, who's muzzling you?
1: No, it's, it's me trying not It's me trying to walk on the eggshells of I'm, I was told several times over that there are things you're not supposed to be talking about with the protocol. And since this is my first rodeo, oh.
2: I don't, I don't know what I can or can't. I don't sense. know who told you that, but that's the, as far as I'm concerned, that's, like made up. I mean, I I'll find out, I'll find out after this podcast sure. and, and happily, sure. you know. No, it's a big deal. And I don't want to push you to say something you're not comfortable saying. I, I've already done that and made it's that. It's not a comfort
1: ones. My yeah. only discomfort is, honestly, I wish the whole process, what I, 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 I get really vocal about this, but I, I'm really passionate about there being greater transparency in all of this data and all of the protocols. I wish more, you and I talked about this a couple of years ago and I'm, I'm more adamant than I've ever been that there's unfortunately so much that's a little too much behind the scenes and there's so much that can, that's controlled by so few people. And I feel like it's doing a disservice to science. And, and the triad's a great example of this. I really wish, I really wish that we could just get more analyses, even if it's post hoc and even if we can see that it's post hoc, even if we state that upfront, that it's limited in that respect, that but we could actually been, look.
2: There have been studies done, I know you don't like genetics, but there have been Mendino randomization studies done exa- to do exactly what you just asked for. And and the genetic studies you're
1: talking about tend to have such things as scoring, right? Where there's actually some additional, a lot of the, a lot of the analyses, okay, let me ask it this way. What was, there was a recent one that uh, had to do with all-cause mortality, right? Where people were genetically had, and it was, it was a larger one. I think Sec was one of the authors on this. And I think it came out, I want to say four or five months ago, something like that. Do you, do you think- We could write the authors and ask if they would turn over that raw data for us so that we could see if we could, like I work with Adrian Soto, who's just a whiz with uh, statistics. Do you think we'd be able to run our own analysis, even if we like predetermined what that analysis would be for that all-cause mortality and its association? It depends.
2: Every study has its own data sharing plan. And I will tell you this, NIH is now required for NIH-sponsored studies, it's now requiring Pretty much, well, I shouldn't say pretty much, but the very generous data sharing that didn't exist in the past. We can all agree it was terrible in the old days, but I, I, I'm not really sure that's where we're going to solve any problems here today.
1: I think it's, it's going to be one of the biggest solutions, period, because, because I feel like it's, it's a place, again, I think the data will speak for itself. If it really is the case that high APOB is pathogenic in every context.
2: No, no one said that, Dave, that you're putting words in everyone's mouth. No one's has ever said that. I just told you, I think there are people out there walking around with high APOB who never have a heart attack. I think uh, it's super interesting. Let me rephrase it. That that there's
1: any population, right? So not not the, you know, one uncle who smoked three packs a day and managed to live to 90. We shouldn't be able to pick a population of people who have a high ApoB, but yet have a low cardiovascular disease risk, a low progression of atherosclerosis. Would you agree with that? Uh,
2: Yes. I will say that every context we've looked at thus far has suggested that there is a linear and proportional risk associated with, with associating ApoB with with cardiovascular risk. It is possible, maybe even likely that there will be some context in which that relationship doesn't hold. But I haven't seen one yet.
1: That's why I asked you that up front is, I was curious if you felt people who had this triad, particularly if they otherwise seemed like the the kind of participants that will be in our study, I've given you the design of our study. Do you think that we're going to observe that they will develop rapid progression of atherosclerosis?
2: I don't even, I mean, I don't even know how to answer the question. I'm sorry. I really don't. I don't know who's in your study. I don't know what this group of people actually has wrong with them it's just very hard again I if I were doing this I would do it a different way I wouldn't well, start with this one but come at it from
1: the other direction not what's wrong with them what's right with them if you could because I post this to chatty Dave, Dave
0: chat. may, may, may I just maybe interject for one second and I and for the record this is my first comment in the past 40 minutes I it's amazing you've been so restrained <laughs> I I that's 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 my job as a host it's not about me but ethan you said a couple of times that you would do it differently do you mind just elaborating on this i'm just curious as if you wanted to answer the question that Dave was posing what would you do because you said well, that I, a I,
2: times. I did i kind of did i would start with defining what this so-called lean mass hyperresponder population is i think it's ill defined to my liking right now i don't know what that is like I, it, again there's a lot of heterogeneity i don't I, we don't know what these people are the eating. we don't know it's anything just else three cut points. It's just an LDL and HDL but,
1: and triglycerides. So, do they so have to the be on some diet? No, it's just having those cut points means they likely are low carb. It doesn't mean you have to be on. it. It's just those three cut points. That's So, you it.
2: could walk in and be eating a you know, 24/7, you know, Cheetos and and you 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 be okay. You don't have to be on a certain diet. You'd be okay, but you probably wouldn't have that profile. You said that, but you I, don't know. I'm that. just I
1: I'm saying when I defined the profile in 2017, sure enough, people were coming out of the woodwork that had this, who had been low-carb and were in. And the lean part is what's observational.
2: I just okay, observed that a lot more. My BMI is 21. I'm low-carb, and I don't have it. So then there's something wrong with me, right? Can can I control your diet for two weeks
1: because I think you'd be closer to the profile I'm talking?
2: Dave, about. I play this game all the time, every day with my patients. I make changes in their diet to try and mitigate some of this. Uh, I I know. And I'll already be up. I'll already be up front. If you are on a more plant-based
1: low carb diet, particularly if it's high in PUFA. And I have posted about this recently, you're going to probably see higher levels of ketones. I don't know how truly fat adapted you are though, because you also tend to have a lot more fiber and we don't know how much soluble and insoluble fiber are relevant.
2: toward. What's wrong with that? If let's just pretend for a second that that's true, that, that you can mitigate this, these astronomically high levels of LDL cholesterol by doing a diet that's more like the one I do what's wrong with that I don't know that there's anything wrong with it and and Ethan I hope you
1: recall I've regularly retweeted not just your work with Carrie Diulis and Daniel Bellardo, but also um skeptical vegan I um I'm forgetting her name but 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 anybody who brings up being low carb and on a plant-based diet for which they can see lower LDL I regularly point out that I I get frustrated when it's brought up as though it's just two choices. Either you have to be high carb, low fat, or you have to be animal-based keto. I'm more than happy to emphasize to people who are not comfortable with high LDL, but want to be low carb, that they can try more plant-based. I'm I'm absolutely
2: a fan of mentioning that frequently. Shadi, we, we've completely not allowed this guy to speak for t- two seconds.
0: No, I'm totally fine. Keep going. I'm, I'm, <laughs> the, the question was to ask me what I would do? Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I think you said you started. You wanted to define the population, and I guess one of the things that I, I'm curious in listening is that you know how how common is this high LDL, high HDL, low triglycerides, and is this what you expect from? Is this only from keto? I mean, and we, we don't know. This is the problem. And Dave's making these like, you know, I can I, answer that. Pretty convincing
2: you know stories because that's what they are that it has to do with changes in diet but again i haven't seen anything published like i it would be great to actually if you really believe that it is that my ldl is low because i eat a certain way and that yours is high because you eat a certain way it would be great to actually do that study because i think it would be
0: my opinion is it would be really nice to start with defining what this is so the first, yeah. the first question as a listener as a listener that And I, as a listener, I guess the first question I always have in mind, and I'm not the expert here, obviously, I'm just a listener. How important is that question clinically? And how is this an issue that we are trying to resolve? Because it's an important question for the general public and to patients and so forth. I'll, I'm going to answer this question because as far as I know, I'm the clinician. You're not?
2: No, I am. <laughs> I don't know why this is, I understand it's a curiosity to Dave and that he has a personal journey he's been on that he wants to kind of answer this question that came up in his own life. And I think it's an interesting scientific question, but the amount of oxygen it gets is completely out of proportion to what it means clinically, if, if you want my opinion as a clinician. And the, the reason I say that is that this is, All created by a group of people who don't like any of the three or four options they have to lower their LDL cholesterol in the context of the elevations they see on whatever diet they're on. And as a result of that, they are trying to figure out, well, is this risky? And in my opinion, and I've said this before to Dave, I'll say it again, and we, you know, again, it's my opinion. My opinion is that the default is it's risky. And that in order to demonstrate that it's not risky, that one actually needs to demonstrate it. So I don't see this today as a huge clinical conundrum because honestly, we're talking about three or four or five really good options to mitigate it without even having to change your diet. And so when I work with my patients who come to me very distraught because they think they either have to go off their diet or they have to live with this risk of having a heart attack tomorrow, they are really happy to learn that there are actually multiple different options, some including drugs and some not, that allow them to mitigate against this risk. Because my opinion and what I tell them is that until we have evidence to show that this is not risky, that the bulk of the evidence we have so far suggests that it is.
1: And can I just take a moment to emphasize that I absolutely endorse fully, the recognition of there being more than one option of either fully abandoning your diet or not, which, you know, harkens back to what I was just talking about with plant-based, but also toward medication. If people are choosing medical therapy, please be aware that I have no stance as to whether it's a good or bad thing. This is something that you should be working out with your doctor and with your family. And that's that's specifically different from a lot of, I think, uh, who you might be critical of, Ethan, for that matter. Dave,
2: your your stance is, and again, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but the way I interpret your position is, the evidence suggesting that the increase changes in lipids, let's just leave it at that, associated with this diet that you're on, are not sufficiently risky that you're not that you're willing you are willing to take the chance for however many years it is until the data show up to confirm your hypothesis that it's not risky. But in the meantime, you are you believe that it's not that the risk is not so high that you're taking a tremendous. If this were a gun and you were spinning a uh, you know a, a chamber and playing Russian roulette, you'd probably agree that the risk is high. Until I
1: took time to understand it better, I would well, again. What you're doing in taking time, the clock okay. is ticking. Sure, the clock is ticking. Right. Do you know? Do you know that I've had three CACs? I've had uh, two CT angiograms. I've had, you're going to be glowing something. Yeah, I probably will be, but they were low dose. They, the, the machine that we were, um, that we're using for the study, because I didn't want to ask people for something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself. I had a CTA back in May and I've had CIMTs, uh, gosh, like something like eight or nine CIMTs total. I'm very, I'm very carefully watching my inflammatory markers.
2: And And I emphasize your CTA showed you have no corner. You have no plaque zero.
1: I'm, I'm un- I made an agreement with the team before yeah. I got it, including Dr. Budoff, that I would not discuss my CTA because it could be too consequential. Huh. Because in either one of those cases, I'm going to get criticized because of the very thing we've been talking about this whole time, right? You don't so think it's
2: important th- information?
1: What's that? You don't think it's important information? I think it, it's, it is hugely important okay. information. It's too important though. Hmm. For, ex- for example... Wouldn't you agree that if my CTA came back and it was extraordinarily good, it would absolutely look as though I was trying to manipulate people into going going into this diet when I don't myself know if I'm an N of one exception, right? Conversely, and I will will state this much. If I had had a CTA and I, I had a clear rapid progression of atherosclerosis comparable to somebody who had heterozygous FH. I, and I shouldn't even say this because I'm already breaking my deal by just saying this much that, that, w- that probably is something that I, I would have uh, discussed openly. Right. But the, but the point is, I'm not, I'm not just blaseingly looking at my lipid panel on an annual basis and nothing else. And just strolling through this process. I'm absolutely very interested. Uh, Nick Norwitz is getting a CTA and you, you, chatted with Nick Norwitz, he has an LDL in in the 500 range and he's been on this diet for 2.5 years. Again, getting back to Brown and Goldstein, the little girl that they were looking at that started off the research, she had hers in the 700. So his LDL is two thirds of what hers is. And if it truly is driven by ApoB, yes, we absolutely should be seeing a signal. We should be seeing CT angiograms showing a progression of atherosclerosis in this dose response level. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, this is this is surprisingly passionate, Chatty. This is going to be such good. This is going to be a good podcast for you because it's maybe the most animated I've been in a long time. But I think we should just be getting the data and the data in this particular context, rather than assuming this other context with populations that have something very vastly different would apply back in this way. Because if if, the, if this does come down to metabolic fat adaptation, and if there really is good, a difference. We should be
2: studying it and it's but you put crazy. your nickel down dave you put your nickel down you've been a bet your bet is that it's safe because in the time that you're doing the study people we don't know what's going on people my, my, my
0: understanding though and please correct me if i'm wrong because um my understanding dave from the patient population that you'll be enrolling in As a clinical trialist, myself in oncology, inclusion exclusion criteria is publicly available for any ongoing clinical trial. I mean, there's nothing that should be hidden about that. But just my understanding is that these are people that have declined undergoing statin therapy. These people exist, right? I mean, we've all had people. I'm sure Ethan had patients who declined therapy. I've had patients decline chemotherapy. We all had these patients. So basically you're taking patients that have have been informed of potential risks, I presume, and they've made a conscious decision, proper informed consent, that they are not going to get statin therapy. And what you've decided is study the natural history of these patients who voluntarily declined undergoing a non-effective therapy. And if that's the case, I don't see any issues with that because basically you're studying the natural history of somebody who declined effective therapy because... It's free country, they can decline in effective therapy. Am I is my understanding incorrect?
1: Yeah, your your understanding is correct. I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up because I do want to emphasize I understand where Ethan is coming from if this comes off as you know, um advisory in its nature, like, oh, this is exciting. I want to be a part of this in such a way that I'm gonna disregard, you know, what my lipid levels are, anything along those lines. There are a number of people who, whether I existed or not, would be maintaining this. Many of them have long before I even entered into the space for which exactly they were making their decision as to whether or not they were going to take steps to lower their LDL. And effectively what we're doing with this study is we're saying, look, if you're going to do this anyway, could we at least get you in for a scan at day zero and another scan one year later where we know existing uh, hyperlipidemic um, studies would show that there's clearly a change in non-calcified plaque and that way we can at least have some sense as to whether or not
0: there's you're, you're studying the natural history of someone who declined treatment's like somebody who has lung cancer declines therapy and we do observational program to mo- to follow this patient prospectively ethan I mean I don't, I don't see a huge reason a huge problem in observational study in somebody who's as long as they're properly informed that this is you know, yeah, I mean, I guess I t- mostly
2: agree with you. I have two problems though. One is that it, by definition, there's a conflict, which is the study doesn't exist
0: if these people don't exist. So, well, well like, I think Dave is saying that these people, these people exist anyway. It's like those folks who who refuse treatment. Right, I hear you. I, I guess the problem
2: is more in if you understood this community that's grown up around this that there's a like Dave, I was on Twitter over the weekend and I saw you were at some conference in Las Vegas and posting pictures with these people who are like celebrating that they're also lean mass hyper responders. There is this sort of... I see.
0: So I think, Ethan, Ethan, you're afraid that this could get out of control where... Right. I mean, I see what you're saying. What I'm saying is that it feels like it's being celebrated. It's a... That
2: it's... And Dave, I'm not saying that you do this and I'm not saying that you encourage this, but it does feel like there is a sense of a badge of honor, almost like people who are proud of not having been vaccinated against COVID. You went there, okay. I mean, I'm mean, i just saying, and by the way, you know as well as I do that a lot of the people who are sort of most vocal about uh, this are also most vocal about about vaccines. There's another, a lot of overlap there.
1: Another topic that's highly polarized and for which you might be surprised as to where I stand. No, I re- that's
2: a, I'm not surprised, I'm not asking your opinion. I, it's not my business. Um, but, 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 but Ethan, I know
1: you followed me for a while and I know you're aware of this. My, my colleague in this study is Spencer Nadolsky, who's nothing less than a very much a pro LDL lowering advocate. He has probably the strongest case for lowering LDL for, um, those who have it on a low carb diet in on cholesterol code. We've linked it several times over, right? I've retweeted over and over again. Because I emphasize that I do want exposure to those people who follow my work to every opinion, right, including the mainstream opinion. I emphasize over and over again that the vast majority of doctors, in fact, I think I usually just quote, like, say, 99, 98 percent would disagree with me and that that there are lots of people who do. And at one point, I also brought you to um, uh, to the Facebook group
2: for Lean Mass Responder Facebook group. Well, you did I to get it, get in there and, and see it. But, you know, you showed me a couple of screenshots.
1: Yeah, I would and I would I would be happy for you to look through it and so forth, as long as you're being a good actor, because I do try to foster. Mm -hmm.
2: But I No, but you know what I'm saying? I I do try to foster. I'm not not trying to be a bad actor. I'm not trying to throw sand in anyone's face. I'm actually just I, I told you the reason I got upset with you over the summer, whenever this thing happened was that I'm like worried about my patients. And by the way, the patients I'm most worried about are not people like you. Were clearly very healthy. I'm worried about patients who I haven't. I can share stories with you. and the patients of mine who've had bypass and are quoting you as to why they don't need to take statins or PCSK inhibitors.
1: But, but I've got to once again emphasize when you say they're quoting me, you're not saying they're actually quoting me. You no, they're saying... not
2: actually quoting you. They're not. They are misinterpreting your position, which I think is not... That's surprising. But right? I mean, again, the problem, Dave, is that you're involved in something that is. Um... Let, let me
1: let me set the stage here, Ethan, because this is important. My platform is the reason the study is happening. Otherwise, the study wouldn't be happening. My, my doing the experiments and the degree with which I approach the science and I share as honestly and as transparently as possible is how I ended up with 50,000 followers on, on Twitter. Not not because I've dogmatically made big categorical statements, right? And because of that, because of that presence, I was able to raise the money through our public charity to put together this mixed hypothesis team to get Dr. Budoff, whose reputation is amazing, to actually do this study. And so the, the irony of what you're saying right now to me is looking at it from another direction, this study wouldn't be happening. This group of
2: people wouldn't be getting looked at. But mean, I'm, I'm going to throw, throw this back at you two decades. I'm going to throw this back at you, and I'm going to say those fifty thousand people might actually not have LDLs of five hundred, like if and I, and that to me would be the best of all possible things. I don't. I'd be much happier if the study didn't have to happen, because I don't think it needs to, because I think there are ways to mitigate against this. I understand that you don't believe that, and that you have concerns or issues with taking medicines and for whatever reason, don't want to change your diet in a way that could lower your LDL, but these do not put
1: words in my mouth. Okay. I'm not saying I have concerns of taking medicine because I'm very careful to just not discuss medicine. I have many family members who are on all kinds of medication, including lipid lowering therapy. And I, I do not, as with them, I'm, I'm extreme. I'm extremely appreciative of the relationship patients have with their doctors and with their families to make their own choice of care. And, I, and, and frankly, Ethan, I really need to, I like you a lot and I respect you a lot. I really dislike when my position is misrepresented with people who I do talk a lot with, who I feel should
2: know my position better. I'm telling you what people tell me. I'm not telling you what I think about you. I'm telling you what people walk into my office and tell me. And I know you don't want it to be that way or think that you want it to be that way, but you are a leader of a movement. And this movement exists to try to prove that this increase in LDL cholesterol in the context of low carb diets is not harmful. That is the that is your mission. When if, I ask you that, that question? If that were
1: my mission, I wouldn't be doing this study. I would just be stating that that's what I believe it to be, and I wouldn't want to find a way to be wrong. But again, you know, so there's another
2: way to do I'm it. Which is while we're just waiting anybody for anybody to try to prove me wrong. While we and this is the major difference I have is that while we're waiting for the answer, which I think we both agree we don't have, that like let's just change the subject for a second. Let's pretend that we're talking about seatbelts saving lives. right? And so I guess the question is, if we were going to do a study to demonstrate the efficacy of seatbelts and saving lives in automobile accidents, in the time between when we start the study and when it ends the study, it would be great if most people wore seatbelts, because I don't think there's a lot of risk in wearing a seatbelt, right? It's not harmful.
1: I, I can't speak to the to the research on seatbelts. I assume so. I don't know though.
2: Okay. Well, I I think they're probably relatively safe. I mean, I can't imagine like I know in- that I know that there's cases for which it's better for you
1: not to have worn a seatbelt than not, but that's not my advocating for not doing it. I just I genuinely don't know this data. I assume so because I always wear my seatbelt, and I was one. I was one of my family to wear my
2: wear their seatbelts. Well, it's all, it's also the law. It's also really hard not to these days because your car will just yap at you the whole time. Right. But but I guess what I'm getting at is that there is a way to think about this to say look, there's a really interesting scientific question. Let's study it. But in the meantime, let's take the position that this seems to be in every other context risky. And so while we're waiting for the answer, let's at least work to the best that we can. It doesn't mean we have to do everything and every single person, but to the best we can, let's encourage people to try and control this problem while we're waiting for the answer. That's the major issue I've had with all of this. My,
1: You said that I'm a leader in a movement to effectively
2: try to prove
1: that it's wrong. And I would argue that I'm, I'm trying to lead the movement of finding the answer. I'll be upfront about being cautiously optimistic, but in the course of doing that, I'll absolutely concede my uncertainty. My hardest moment from the summer, from when we had our exchange, is that I took the opportunity, I took what you said sincerely, that if people are walking in the door and they're saying things, even if even if I'm being misquoted, I wrote a five part tweet that I was about as forceful as I think I've ever been on Twitter to emphasize the things I said earlier in this podcast. And one of the reasons it was so disheartening,
2: Ethan, is you were instantly dismissive of it. You only want- I don't know what to tell you. Again, if you had an opportunity in a different context where I believe there's very little disagreement except on the absolute fringes. And I was talking about secondary prevention. You had the opportunity to to at least signal to people that you're open to this set of mitigation, you're when you
1: phrase that. it that way, I am. I'm definitely open to it. I would be doing my research to find out what I could do. You didn't want that answer. You wanted, no, I me wanted to- I wanted
2: that answer. I wanted you to say, yes, of course, if I had a heart attack, I would take a statin. Right. That's what I wanted you to say.
1: Right. But what I did say was I would do research and try to come to my
2: own conclusion. Do research. I, <laughs> I mean, there's 35 years of research. There's 35 years of published research. I mean, you're, what you're saying is like that- I'll do research if oxygen is necessary to breathe. Like it's it's not it's a, it's not even a I,
0: think, I think what I think what Dave meant is he would do a research if to see if there are any published studies and what Ethan is saying this this research has been done you don't need to research you just it's already been done it's already been published I believe What I'm so.
2: saying and what I said to him over the summer and I'll say it again is that if I as a cardiologist had a patient come to me after a heart attack and I said you don't need to take a statin. And that person went on to die from a heart attack and I got sued for malpractice, I would lose that case because it is malpractice in this country not to prescribe a statin after a heart attack. Doesn't mean that somebody has to take it, they can ignore me as we've discussed before, they can decline it, but it would be malpractice in the setting of somebody who's had a heart attack not to prescribe a statin.
1: What is wrong with me telling everybody that they should work with their doctor to make this determination.
2: I wasn't asking you to tell people what to do. I was
1: asking you to, you know, hypothetical. I I think if somebody were to read through that right now, they would definitely come to the conclusion you were telling me to do something.
2: No, I wasn't. I was asking you to give me an answer to a simple question, which was if hypothetically you had a heart attack, what would you do after the heart attack about the decision to take a statin? That was a very simple question. I'm not trying to get you to do anything except answer that simple question.
1: And I gave you an answer, but you felt the answer was inadequate.
2: Your answer was, I'm not gonna say.
1: No, my my answer was that I didn't know that much about secondary prevention. I would do more research and not me saying, I'm gonna become a cardiologist when I say more research. This whole journey began with me doing research and coming to the conclusion that there was much more metabolic relevance than what is said in the literature. And that's that's how the Lipid energy model came about. So I've definitely come into research that actually my own data has provided lots of evidence against. So the same thing I would want to know for myself. Now, Ethan, you're somebody who I already trust as much as we have lots of different disagreements. I would already be leaning toward listening to what you're talking about, particularly with secondary prevention. You would probably provide me studies because I would go to you. I would say you seem to you seem to be up on a lot of the best studies and I would be interested in finding out what it is you turn around. It'd probably be, uh, since we last chatted privately, I'm guessing it would be 4S, right? You'd think that's probably some of the best data, because I think in a prior tweet you said that um, some of the studies that were done in the 90s are some of the best uh, medical studies. Is that right?
2: Dave, what, what, we've talked about this before, and I, I know you know what I'm going to say, <laughs> but and I know you don't like the studies that were done before 2003 but the reality is- Not even arguing we, that. What the I FDA wouldn't let, won't let you do a study now with a placebo in this patient population. It's it's malpractice. They will not let you do it. So you're not going to get a placebo-controlled study of any lipid lower. In fact, when PCSK9 inhibitors came to market, as you know, they couldn't be tested against placebo. It was malpractice. It was dangerous. They were tested on a background of people who were on maximum tolerated statin dose. So the- 2 Fourier and Odyssey, which are the two PCSK9 inhibitor trials that have been published, were both done comparing PCSK9 plus statin to statin plus placebo, because it's unethical to do a study and not include a statin. So all I was asking you was to acknowledge that, that reality and to signal that there might be a context in which you would consider taking a statin. I I'm, I will again resignal
1: that there's yeah. definitely a context in which I would take a statin. Okay, great. That's all I ever wanted I to say. I that means a lot that to that me. That actually
2: means also- a lot to me, Dave. It means a lot because I'm telling you, you, as you know, people really, really listen to you, and just what you just said right there will actually help me a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dave, Dave this is obviously a compliment to you being having such a large social media platform, which comes with frankly, a sense of responsibility because that's what Ethan is saying. I mean, I'm listening to both of you and I think you, you know, I get what Ethan is saying because people listen to you because of your platform and they respect what you say. So wor- your words do carry weight. Uh, people don't give shit about what I say, but what you say does matter. No, but it, it is, look, I mean, it's the way it is, right? I mean, that's why, I mean, people who have large social media presence, And people are following them and listen to them. I do think um, they they have um, uh, they carry weight, and and I think what Ethan is saying, you may not know this, but some of the patients that he actually sees in clinic do follow the movement. uh, What I've heard, the movement that um, you have, I wouldn't say you pioneered, but the movement that you have, the the movement that uh, you know you definitely supported somehow. Uh, because you and that movement carry kind of similar views. So um, from a physician perspective, I think it, it means a lot to Ethan that you acknowledged that piece because it does help patients who are questioning it. That's all. It does.
1: Let me be sure that the context is carried because the thing I'm, I'm going to reemphasize is I do not want words put in my mouth. That's the thing. Whether it's patients coming to you or whether it's you going to patients, I don't know. But if the answer that you're interested in is would I consider taking a statin? I can say I would consider taking a statin if that's where everything led me to. And there are many, and let me put it this, and I think you'll like this, which is that I also know a lot of low carb doctors who are more comfortable with high LDL in general for primary prevention, who are not comfortable with it uh, for secondary prevention and would seek to have a cholesterol-lowering therapy and I'm sure, and, and not just because they feel like they would be subject to medical malpractice, but because they themselves would say that. I'm comfortable saying that as well. I don't, I feel though, it's, it's absolutely responsible for me to be able to say, if I'm faced with a, a, a lifelong therapy decision, that it's, it's fine if I'm taking some time to better educate myself as to what I want to be able to do. But if, if what's meaningful to you is that I would not rule out statins, I'll, I'll say it one more time. I would not rule out statins. I would not rule out really anything that could help in that regard, including you know, medical therapy.
0: It seems like we have... Um, this has been uh, one of my favorite podcasts, I have to say. This is, <laughs> this is great. Um, believe it or not, believe it or not, we've been going for 90 minutes. I don't know if you knew that, but... Uh, I did,
2: and I'm realizing I got to make dinner for my kids. Yeah,
0: You have to make dinner. Uh, I knew that about Ethan when I had him on the podcast a few times that he actually is in charge of dinner, at least on Sundays. I knew that on Sunday. No, no,
2: I'm on charge of making dinner.
0: I don't think I'm going to piss off my wife who by the way is traveling
2: right now anyway. So there's no one else to make dinner, but I'm the (laughs) cook in the house. So Uh, that
0: is, uh, my wife would wish that, uh, that I was the cook in the house. I think my kids would wish that I wasn't, but uh, I I do want, I do want to uh, finish with a couple of things. First, I want to finish with a couple of points that you both agree on. Daddy, you look frozen to me on my screen. Do you see the same? He looks frozen to me too. It's a cool oh, look, though. Hope, yeah. Oh boy, yeah. I do see myself. I'm frozen, but at least you can hear me, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Well, who cares about how I look? But um, um, I, I do. I do want to uh, finish with a couple of points that you both agree on, and then closing statements by both of you. And uh, if you want, we will allow uh, one point of rebuttal. Okay, so what do we agree on? What do do you guys agree on? Two points. I'll go first. I think it's an interesting question. I
2: think the question of what happens to lipids in the context of low-carbohydrate diets is really, really interesting and ought to be studied in a rigorous way. And I'd love to understand the physiology. I think we agree on that.
0: Dave, what another point that you both agree on? I think we agree
1: on uh, patients should work with their doctor, work with their family, and do their own research. I realize do their own research may come off as a loaded term. I don't mean for it to be because I don't think people should look at one side entirely, uh, particularly if it's the side that's you know entirely outside of the, the existing medical opinion. But in general, I do think people should try to Make as much of an informed decision as they can since only they can take true ownership of their health. What do we agree on that,
2: Ethan? In sure. the way that I've said it. I mean, I tell patients every day that I'm not any, I'm not a decider in their care. I'm a recommender.
0: That's not bad. So now we're gonna have closing statements by each one, which is yeah. I mean, this is you're not running for office, Ethan. Don't worry. You're not, it's not the presidential elections, but um,
2: I don't know if I have anything else to say. I think we've sort of covered it. I, I, I think, uh, I, I like Dave a lot. I hope this works out. I really do. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. I enjoy talking to him. It's fun, definitely takes some energy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dave, uh, uh, last final thoughts.
2: Yeah,
1: I appreciate Ethan that we've had a very spirited, passionate conversation. Uh, in the spirit of two years ago, I do hope that we can uh, continue to have dialogues and and try to like move this conversation forward. I will say that the one the one disappointment that I've had in this in the course of this conversation, but this has not been uncommon to you, is that now that the study is underway, there does seem to be a reluctance in Effectively uh, sticking to the hypothesis, what do what can we expect from the progression of plaque? Even if it's to say we need a longer time horizon or we need more things to be involved, um, I feel like the bar is unusually high. When actually, in the case of homozygous FH, the bar is very low because we already can see it in such a rat in such a short span of time. That's that's very much a cornerstone of the lipid hypothesis. It's part of why I really do want these folks to get studied. I, I'm I'm not. Uh, dismissive or unconcerned about folks that maybe having a 500, 600, 700, like those folks that are looking at Brown and Goldstein, but I'm willing to be public about what my what my uh, hypothesis is, even if it's cautiously optimistic. I may be entirely wrong. I think we won't see a rapid progression of uh, plaque, uh, particularly comparable to
2: um, to FH, and
1: I would love if all of us could could you know do likewise. So that'd be, I guess, my one rebuttal.
2: Uh, And I'll end with a rebuttal that's going to sound really harsh. I don't think your study is going to answer anything. And I think a single-arm, non-randomized study without any really context of who's in it and what they're doing to themselves is not really going to change anything. I mean, I just, I don't, I I hate to say that. I know you put a lot of effort into it, but I don't think it's going to matter. I don't know what you mean, though, by without, like, we have a study
1: design and we have entry for which there is a very long criteria.
2: It's a single-armed and it's uncontrolled. And we we're, we don't even know does like what period of time message, should we be, what, does what period the of time matter should, what time of period what period of time should we be looking at what so do you have a sense of what an acceptable first of all changing within group changes as we all know who anyone who's ever done a clinical trial are probably to be avoided it's the reason we have randomized trials and we have control groups so we don't really have any idea what normal progression is oh, we know what high
1: progression is. We we know what we would expect with somebody who has homozygous FH of comparable
2: levels. You're saying that there are untreated patients who, with homozygous FH who had CT angiograms in the 1970s. I, I think some will have no, but we do know we do know development of, of
1: progression that we can capture on existing uh, patients with FH, right? It, it have there been CTAs done on young people uh, who have homozygous FH? CTAs
2: I maybe I don't know I haven't seen them.
1: There have, Maybe, and yeah. to that extent, and and other forms of hyperlipidemia, and they're untreated. Well, a lot of times it's when it's the first appearance of symptoms,
2: okay, for which you can appear. But but so you're telling time- me what the baseline is going to look like, and but you, I don't know if we have an, a sense of what the progression is going to look like. I don't think you have a hard time convincing me that there's a study out there showing progression of untreated homozy- patients with homozygous FH. No, and I'm not saying I'm not
1: saying that there is, but we yeah. do have we do have longitudinal data on people with hyperlipidemia of various types for which we can see the growth of non-calcified
2: plaque. But I don't know, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how you're gonna, what you're gonna grade, what you're, how are you gonna interpret the results? What's, what's normal, what's abnormal? What's fast, what's slow? I, I, I just don't know how to, I don't if, know how if to- they have a higher, If they hi, have a higher detected level of plaque,
1: even at baseline, even when they enter, since you have to have been a lean mass hypersponder for at least two so years. Any,
2: any that, plaque at baseline and you... And then progression of plaque with the Progression comparison. meaning that it gets 1% worse, 2% worse, 5%, 10%. Yeah, that's a, better question
1: for, that's a better question for Dr. Budoff because yeah. he's already well-entrenched in this. Anyway, system.
2: I'm not trying to be an asshole because it's partly my tendency to no, do but, that. But, but.
1: but it's worth taking a moment to emphasize you're being completely categorically dismissive of the study before it happens. You're saying it will have no meaning. Correct,
2: correct? I think it's a crappy design. Yeah. And, I, and I'm
1: gonna disagree with you on that. And if Dave,
2: by the way, I'm gonna back up and tell you that you called me, we had a call, I don't know how many years ago, two years ago, three years ago, you and Spencer and I had a call to talk about this study. And I very strongly advocated that figure out a way to do this in a what I thought to be a rig- scientifically rigorous manner. And you guys said it wasn't possible. And that was the last phone call we had. So, yes, I don't think it's a good study before I've seen the result. I think it's a bad design. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying the truth. That's my honest opinion. Am I God? No, I'm not. But I'm telling you my opinion.
1: Fair enough. If there's one thing that we're going to disagree on is whether it has meaning I think it's going to have a lot more meaning than you mean. Well,
0: look, I mean, it, it's not, and look, I mean, in oncology, in cardiology, in every discipline, there are folks who would, who may be dismissive of certain studies before they ever happen, and others who advocate for the studies after they happen. I think it's just the way it is. Um, and I think only time is going to tell. I mean, clearly, the trial is approved by the IRB. So... It's not uh, a trial. Uh, the, uh, it's an observational. Yeah. Well, it's an observational. Yes, yeah. yeah, the observation, but it did go through the IRB approval process, right, Dave? Correct. Yeah. It did go through the IRB approval. It is approved and it is going to uh, enroll patients. Uh, is it a year or two years? Uh, you think what's the projection? It's a year. I, I, can I ask one more question, Ethan? If there was sure. a rapid progression of, of
1: atherosclerosis, would you likewise feel it didn't have any meaning? Like, let's say we did see progression comparable to homozygous fh for example would you would you feel that would be meaning
2: meaningless data because that's a possibility i may help i I, I guess i just don't know it's just to me there are so many unknowns about what you're i don't even know what rapid progression is like i don't i guess yeah so all right i'll give you something that i would be interested in if you saw i I actually i'm much more interested in the baseline if you truly can Convince me that these people have actually been doing a low carb diet. I, I'm confused because I thought earlier you said they didn't have to be on a certain diet. So, if if you're truly show, telling me people have been on a, a low carb diet for two years and they can somehow convince me that that's the case, and they can show me that two years ago they had a normal lipid profile and now their lipids are sky, are wackadoodle. That's part of the. Creature. And you can you can show me that they have that the some significant majority of them have no coronary disease at baseline. That would be interesting.
1: I, I, don't, I don't know about having, obviously, they're going to be compared to likewise cohorts for which we do have CT angiogram data on. So if you get a snapshot of, say, a typical 45-year-old, you want to compare that against other existing 45-year-olds. But even then, they may be coming from a challenged state. I don't know. But the, but the assumption would be that if they were for two years at an LMHR level, that they didn't have plaque in an unusual manner when compared to others of their cohort. That would be of interest, right? That's just the baseline. But really, the comparison is what we're more interested in. In that, if they, if after two years, then one year for which we have observational, uh, comparative scans, and we don't see a at a population level a rapid progression of atherosclerotic plaque, that would be highly unexpected,
2: given the okay. existing. I'm telling you what, what what I would be interested in. If you could show me that these people had next very low levels of baseline plaque, I'd be very interested in that. I'm not sure how you're defining rapid progression. I don't even know what that means. And I, again, I hate historical. The control. same thing.
1: Brown and Goldstein was we didn't... The, existing, the existing meta-analyses. They wrapped in homozygous FH. If you if you look at the AS paper from 2007, the consensus statement, all of these different metas, they they lean heavily into homozygous FH and to some degree heterozygous FH because the assumption is. The primary driver of plaque in those cases is the higher levels of ApoB-containing lipoproteins, right? I, I think I, I think I even
2: bookmarked a tweet where you basically say exactly this: that it's. I don't know what protein. you're. Again, I don't. I, 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 I'll come back to. I don't believe that there have been longitudinal studies of coronary artery plaque progression using CT angiography in homozygous patients with homozygous FH I, who are untreated. I agree untreated. with that. Okay. Just as a principle, Dave, I don't like historical controls, whether it's a positive control or a negative control. I don't like them. I think you're opening yourself up to a tremendous amount of risk of bias, and it's going to be hard to interpret. And that's all I'm saying. I think this is going to be hard to interpret. If there's a clear answer in one direction or the other, we'll learn something. If there's a very clear answer in one direction or the other, we'll learn something.
0: I think that's a perfect way to finish because it is, if there's a clear direction, one way or another, we might learn something and life yep. is a journey of learning. And at some point, Ethan has to cook for his I'm going. family. Otherwise they will ban you forever from being on any podcast. Uh, guys, yeah. this, is, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think to be continued, what I would love if you all agree is maybe Uh, you know, six to eight months down the road, maybe the trial will be ongoing and so on. I think we'll probably do another one of those. Dave could share with us whatever he can share as the trial is ongoing and we'll see how things are. Sounds good. Thank you. Ethan Wise, Dave Feldman, thank you so much for coming on Healthcare Unfiltered. Thanks for having us on, Jenny. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I really appreciate your support. And I ask you to let me know how I'm doing by direct messaging me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan and sending me an email by visiting the website, www.shadiabhan.com. You'll visit the website and you can message me through there. You'll see a list of all of the podcast episodes there, as well as some of the features on the podcast that I hope uh, on the website that I hope you enjoy. I really hope you enjoyed this debate. It was a heated, lively, and excellent debate between Dave Feldman and Ethan Weiss. And uh, I believe that this debate will rise or has risen to your expectations. And as a reminder, you can watch all of these on YouTube. As a reminder, you have to subscribe, like, prefer, all of that good stuff. And look, before I let you go, I have to leave you with a nice quote. That is um, really um, uh, by uh, our boy, our colleague. Hey, Winston Churchill. You have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. Until next time, take care.